Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. Today, you're going to get to hear my call story and remember Moses' call story. So we will start with that from Exodus chapter 3. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God, father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they are going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Go and get Israel's elders together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me. The Lord said, I've been paying close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I've decided to take you away from the harassment in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land full of milk and honey. They will accept what you say to them. Then you and Israel's elders will go to Egypt's king and say to him, the Lord, the Hebrews God has met with us. So now let us go on a three-day journey into the desert so that we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. However, I know that Egypt's king won't let you go unless he's forced to do it. So I'll use my strength and hit Egypt with dramatic displays of my power. After that, he'll let you go. I'll make it so that when you live, leave Egypt, the Egyptians will be kind to you and you won't go away empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor along with the immigrant in her household for their silver and their gold jewelry as well as their clothing. And you will put it on your sons and daughters, and you will take from the Egyptians. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So it was the first day of classes in August of 2000, first day of classes at the University of Arkansas. And I was the study abroad advisor at the University of Arkansas. And as a full-time employee, I got to take any class I wanted for $5 a credit hour. Had to take advantage of that, right? So not only was I taking the classes, I was actually getting a master's degree in comparative literature. And that semester I was so excited because I was finally getting to take the cornerstone class in my degree, Introduction to Comparative Literature, and it would be taught by my advisor, Dr. John Locke. I had heard much about Dr. Locke and his teaching, and I was so excited to have this opportunity to learn from him in this semester. Now, I had been a student at the University of Arkansas for a long time, so I knew you got to class early because there was a pretty good chance they were going to move your classroom and you were going to have to go somewhere else. So I arrived at my classroom at 12.15, found out I wasn't being moved, thank goodness, um, and waited uh, with uh, some of the other students that had gotten there as well. Just a few minutes after I got there, a freshman ran into this graduate class and said, the police told me, to get in a classroom or get out of the building. And I thought, oh, you made the wrong choice. You always get out of the building. The speculation began immediately. Most of my classmates were saying, oh, it's probably a bomb threat, except I had been in Kemple for three bomb threats. And I knew there wasn't a choice of staying in the classroom. You got out of the classroom. So I knew it was a shooter. I went to that third floor window and stared at what I knew was at least double pane glass and thought, what is it going to take to break this window out and get out of here? I don't have, think I have the strength to do it. But as I stared out that window, I watched the police push the students back. And I watched as they surrounded the building with that yellow, do not cross, tape. And I thought, I'm not supposed to be on this side of that do not cross tape. The only people that are on this side of that do not cross tape are police and victims. Am I a victim? 45 minutes. That might as well have been 45 years waiting when finally a policeman came in and said, we need you all to get out of the building and go down this back stairway. So I left and I crossed the campus and went back to my office. It would still be hours before I would learn that what had happened was that a fellow student in the comparative literature program who had been dismissed for not making progress in the program had bought 90 rounds of ammunition carried a list of people who had dismissed him, walked into Kemple Hall, found Dr. Locke in his office minutes before he would have been in my classroom, shot him, and killed him. The people in the offices around him heard the shots, called the police, and the police got there so fast they barricaded James Kelly in Dr. Locke's office, and he eventually turned the gun on himself. Otherwise, the University of Arkansas might have been another mass shooting tragedy. I would cry three times over the next few weeks, 
once that afternoon in my shower, once in front of the entire university at the, at the um, gathering that we had to discuss it, and then once at Dr. Locke's memorial. And then I wouldn't cry again because there was life to do. I had to get on with it. I had to push down that fear and all the anger and the worry and the questions that I had for God. I had to push it down so I could get on with life. But then, a few months later, a student came into my office and became threatening, throwing things around and had to be escorted from the building. And then there was no more holding back that fear. The dam broke. All I could feel was fear. So I went home that day and I told my husband, I said, I can't leave the house anymore. I am too afraid. I'm too afraid to face any stranger ever again. I have to stay. Nonetheless, I did feel safe enough to go to church. And so I went to church that Sunday, thinking it was going to be a normal Sunday. But instead, as I climbed into the choir loft, I realized I was about to go to war with God because I had big questions. I wanted to know why is there suffering? Why did an innocent man have to die? What caused someone to become so angry as to pick up a gun and kill another human being and then turn it on themselves? Why did I have to deal with the repercussions of that? Why was I having to live now with the fear? Why, 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 God, why? And so in my head, Praying as fervently as I have ever prayed in my life, I said to God, God, I've had enough. Get down here right now. (laughs) And explain this to me. I don't know what was preached on that day. I do know that our last hymn was on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. And boy, was I. Tears streaming down my face. I made it through that hymn, made it through the benediction, and then bent in half. And the church surrounded me and loved me because I didn't have the words yet to tell them what I was going through. But that night at Disciple Bible Study, I did have the words. I told them about the fear that I had. I told them about my anger with God. I told them about all that I was struggling with. The pastor at the time very wisely said, You need counseling, (laughs) which I did get. (laughs) And he also said, I know you don't feel it now, but I promise you God is with you in this. I didn't believe him. When I left that night, the best way to describe how I felt was empty, that I had poured out everything that I had in me and I was a shell, just skin hanging on nothing. There was nothing there, nothing left. As I pulled out of that parking lot, making a left-hand turn onto 71B, all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with the presence of God. I was so certain that God was in the car with me, I checked all my mirrors. I didn't see God, but I knew God was there. And how did I know? 
because I have never, ever felt so much peace, so much love, so much joy, so much safety, so much wrapped around me and holding me close than in that moment. When I pulled up in front of my house, I very seriously thought about picking up my cell phone and calling my husband and telling him, I am going to sleep in the car tonight because God's out here. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure he was this close to calling the men with the white coats on me as it was. So I thought I better go inside. I went inside and I slept better than I'd slept in months. The next morning was a Monday to work at the University of Arkansas and I jumped up ready to go. Got in my car, same feeling. God's going to ride around with me in my car. (laughs) I was so ecstatic. So ecstatic that I barely paid attention driving that day. In fact, I paid so little attention, I didn't even recognize that I went a different way to work than I had ever gone before. Took a different exit. Ended up a different pathway. And as I did, about a mile from my office, I got a flat tire. Well, now the feeling that God was with me, poofed, gone. I'm like, yeah, that's right, God. When things get tough, there you go. Right? Now I have to figure out how to change this tire. So I I pulled into a church parking lot, open up my, my trunk, stare at the tire and the jack, realizing I've never changed a tire in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. Just as an SUV pulls into the parking lot. Now, when you're dealing with trauma, your brain doesn't, it has a logic to it, but not a normal logic, right? And so I assumed that this person pulling in was coming to kill me. And so as he got out of his SUV and walked around, I wheeled on him like I'm going to defend myself. Um, And y'all, it was my first crush from junior high. I hadn't seen him in 15 years. I didn't even know he lived in the same town. So I said, hey, Doug. (laughs) He said, hey, Michelle. He said, you got a flat tire there? I said, I do. He said, you need help changing it? I said, I do. So he goes to work changing my tire. He's telling me about his family and all the things that have happened in his life and catching up, asking me questions about my family. And I'm just standing there confused. And finally, I say, did you see me? And he said, what? I said, did you see me? Is that why you pulled into this parking lot to help me? And he said, no. I work here at this church. I'm a minister here. Well, I knew Doug in junior high. (laughs) So I thought, oh, man, Doug is the farthest away from anyone I'd ever thought would serve the Lord like that. And that's when I heard the voice. No, you are. But I am calling you. You asked me why there is violence. You asked me why there's suffering. You asked me why there's pain, why there's evil in this world. There's no good answer. There's no answer that will take away that pain from you. 
But I will tell you this. Come work for me. You know my peace. Bring that to my people. Stem the tide of violence and hate. Hold my peace and my love before the people. Bring that to the world. That's your answer. That is what I am calling you to do. What do you say to that except, here I am, Lord. We've heard two call stories today. We've heard Moses' call story and we've heard my call story. And there's, there's some things in those that I want to lift out. And the first thing that I want to say is that expect that God shows up in the usual, unusually. God shows up in a bush that's on fire that doesn't burn. God shows up in a left-hand turn as a passenger in your car. God shows up as a flat tire. God shows up in our usual, in unusual ways. See that. Be ready to experience that's, that's how God comes. Another thing to, to learn from this is that God does not need ideal circumstances. You don't have to be ready to serve God. God's ready for you to serve anyway. We didn't hear this part of Moses' story, but why was he tending Jethro's flocks? Because he had killed a man and fled Egypt. I was not totally of sound mind when I got my call to ministry. I was dealing with PTSD. And yet God came into that space anyway. And then Moses and I both had self-doubt. Moses named his. I didn't even get a chance to name it. God named it for me. We didn't know why we were the ones that were called. That doesn't matter to God. God calls anyway. And the last thing to learn from these stories is that God doesn't call us alone. God calls us in community. Did you notice that in this story it said, Moses, you and Israel's elders will go before Pharaoh. And then we know the story of how this Exodus people lived. Moses relied on Aaron and Miriam. Moses then had had judges set up to help him. He called upon the people to bring their craft work forward to make the tabernacle. They were community together to serve God. Just as I have been called into community to serve God, and you are all also called. Together, we will do the work that God calls us to do. We will help deliver people from Egypt. We will bring God's peace into a hurting world. That is what we are called to do as community. So get ready. Because the next three weeks, we're going to talk about who that community is. And then we're going to talk about how you are called. Because you are all called. I don't care if you're sitting in front of me. I don't care if you are on the other end here virtually. We are called together to change God's world. To bring God's peace to God's people. So we will do that. So get ready, my friends. You're about to have to kick off your sandals.
and say, Here I am, Lord. Amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all.